The Word of God for our meditation this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, beginning with the 21st verse. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel lesson. He that is Jesus said to them, the disciples, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The text we just read is included on an insert in your worship folder. If you'd like to have that insert out, it might make it easier for you to keep those words in front of you as we go through our message this morning. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Last week, Pastor Borman preached to us about a parable that comes at the beginning of this chapter, Mark chapter 4. It's the parable of the sower and the seed. And one of the nice things about that parable is it's one where Jesus' disciples did us the favor of going to Jesus later on and asking him, teacher, tell us the meaning of that parable. And, and Mark records for us the explanation that Jesus gave to the disciples. It takes a lot of the guesswork out of the picture for us hearing that parable and now trying to determine what was it Jesus meant to teach us with it. It would be awesome if the disciples had done that and the gospel writers had recorded Jesus' answer for every single one of his parables. It would just make them a lot easier to understand. But they didn't. And maybe that's the point. Maybe the parables aren't supposed to be just so plain and simple and easy to understand. Maybe their intent is to make us stop and think and consider for a while what it is that Jesus means by them and what it is he's trying to teach us through them. The parable of the sower that we heard last week is a long parable. There's a narrative. There's almost a plot. But the parable that we have in front of us today is much shorter. And rather than telling a story, it, it really just asks us a question. Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Or do you put it up on its stand? That's the whole parable. So, I'm going to break the wall here. What do you think? What's the answer to the question? Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl 
or under a bed, or do you put it up on its stand? Feel free to raise your hand. Don't worry, don't be shy. Diane? Oh, with someone in front of you? Go ahead. Demarion? Who was thinking you put it up on a stand? Can we do a show of hands? Okay, see, there's all the hands. I knew you guys had it. You're just too shy to put them up there. It's a no-brainer, right? It's the obvious answer to the question. It's an easy question to answer. When you bring a light into the room, you put it somewhere so that the light is going to be able to shine around the room and illuminate things so that everyone can see. It's the reason that our lights are hanging up on these chains over our heads and not sitting down underneath the pews. So answering the question is easy. We get the answer, but now what do we do with it? Why was Jesus asking that question in the first place? What's he really getting at? Maybe we can start by asking the question, what does he mean by the lamp? No, I'm not going to look for hands on this one. If you guys didn't answer the first question, you're probably not going to go out on a limb for this one. (laughs) But maybe you recall from your childhood or from teaching your children or grandchildren There's a popular children's song called This Little Light of Mine. And it comes to mind when we look at this because really the word bowl that we have here is this bushel basket. It's it's actually a peck basket, so it'd be like a quarter bushel, but that's beside the point. And when we sing that song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. What's the light that we're talking about? That song is based on a very similar Bible passage to the one that we have in front of us today. That one comes from Matthew chapter 5, and it's a part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Here's the context there in Matthew 5. Jesus, speaking to those in front of him, says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So in that context, it's pretty clear what the light is, who the light is. The light is Jesus' disciples. He says to them, you are the light. And he tells them their light shines into the lives of other people when they live their lives in a way that glorifies God the Father. So we might say the light is their faith shining through them. It could be the fruit of their faith, the the good deeds that they do as they live as disciples of Jesus. But that's Matthew chapter 5. And this is Mark chapter 4. It's a different day, it's a different crowd, it's a different conversation. And although the words are similar, as we look at it, we can see that the surrounding context is really pretty different. In Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is doing all kinds of teaching about Christian living, about the fruit of our faith. But here in Mark chapter 4, 
the context is all about parables. It's about the sower and his seed. It's about the kingdom of God and how that kingdom works. It's about Jesus. And so as we look at this text that we have in front of us today, there are some clues that start to show us that the lamp here isn't referring to Jesus' disciples. It's, it's referring to Jesus himself. First of all, in the original language, there's a definite article in front of the word lamp. So instead of a lamp, it's the lamp. And then the verb that comes after that is an active verb, not a passive verb. I know I'm getting a little geeky right now. Bear with me. So what that means is the the real translation would be not when a lamp is brought, but it would be when the lamp comes. What do you do with it? Do you hide it under a bowl or a bed, or do you put it up on its stand? And we all agreed a couple minutes ago that's an easy answer. You put it up on its stand. But if the lamp is Jesus, the light of the world, God's Messiah, let's ask the same question. When Messiah comes, should he be hidden under a bowl or put up on a stand for everyone to see? Is that as easy of a question to answer? Why was Jesus born in a barn in Bethlehem and then laid in an animal's food trough for a crib? Why did he have this unassuming childhood growing up in the home of a carpenter who lived in the northern boondocks of Israel? Why now that he had started his public ministry is he going around healing people and then telling them, shh, don't tell anybody what happened to you here today? Why is he teaching in these parables that are so confusing that many who hear them walk away without gaining any understanding of what it is that he meant by them? There is a hiddenness that comes with Jesus and his ministry. And the disciples were starting to pick up on that. They were starting to get a little frustrated by it, maybe thinking to themselves, when is Jesus just going to come out with it and tell everybody who it is that he is so that everybody can know? So that's why he asked them this parable. And after he asks the parable, he goes on and he tells them, whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. That was true, first of all, for the truths contained in those parables. Pastor Borman taught us a a couple of weeks ago that part of the purpose of the parables was that Jesus was speaking in a way so that those who had hardened their hearts against God and his word wouldn't get anything out of it. But at the same time, Jesus did want the truths that were concealed in those parables to be disclosed and to be laid out in the open 
for those who did have hearts that were still willing to hear him. He wanted them to consider the things that he was saying and to learn the profound truths that he was sharing with them. Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed is also true of Jesus himself. The shepherds who were out in the fields outside of Bethlehem that night when Jesus was born, they never would have known that that child had been born in Bethlehem, much less who he was, unless God had sent his angel messengers to them to disclose that information. No one in the history of our world, through, through scientific investigation, through observing nature, could ever come to the conclusion that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God and the Savior of this world from sin. That truth can only be known to those whom it is revealed to by the Holy Spirit of God working through the message of God's Word. That was what had happened for Jesus' disciples, or it was what was beginning to happen for them, that God was teaching them and instructing them through his word to come to learn who it was that Jesus truly is. That's what he would continue to do through those disciples. After his death and resurrection, when they truly began to understand what it meant that he had come to save them, Jesus sent them out throughout the world so that they could share the message that they now knew. In the beginning of our series, we heard the message that Jesus said to them. He said, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, and then he sends them out with that secret, which is now revealed to them, that Jesus is the Christ who saves us from our sins. He sent them out to the world. And look at the world after the apostles went out. there are still a majority from whom Christ is hidden. They told thousands, maybe even millions, about Jesus, but after their work, isn't it still true that there were more people who didn't know Jesus than there were who did? Fast forward 2,000 years to today. How do things look now? Is the lamp up on his stand so that everyone can see? Or is he still, in a way, hidden? A recent Pew survey showed that a third of the nearly 8 billion people in our world would say that they are Christians. That means two-thirds don't. That same survey said that out of the citizens of the United States of America, 80% are Christians. It would be interesting to see the results, but I don't think there's any way for Pew to to research this. But I, I wonder what the results would be if we asked how many of those who say that they are a Christian in that survey actually have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm afraid the data would be a lot lower than the numbers that are out there. 
but there's no way for, for Pew to know, there's no way for you or me to know. That's something that only God can truly see. Whichever way you want to look at it, the truth of the matter is there are far more people still alive today that don't know Jesus as their Savior than there are who do. If you look in the news media or if you look on social media, you're not going to see in front of you something that says, it's very clear that Jesus is king and everybody knows that and loves him and follows him. You're probably picking up on that, that there's still some hiddenness to Jesus and his ministry, and maybe it's even frustrated you. Maybe sometimes you, you found yourself thinking, God, I wish you could just show everyone who you are so that everyone would know and we wouldn't have any of these problems that we're dealing with here. The day is coming, friends. The day when that which has been hidden will finally be revealed for everyone to see. And the lamp will be put on his stand. Every eye will see him. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That sounds wonderful. Sounds great. John adds one more line. He says, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. That day when our Savior comes back and he's put on his stand so that everyone can see him will be a day when no one will be able to deny that Jesus is Lord, that he is the God whom he says he is. And for those who knew him, that will be an amazing and an awesome day. A day of vindication, a day of redemption. But for those who had hardened themselves against him, who had rejected him, although they won't be able to deny it anymore, it is on that day already too late. And for them it will be a day of ruin and destruction. So which one will it be for you? I hope, I pray, that for you it will be the former. A day of joy, of redemption, of vindication. But how do we ensure that that's the case? Jesus' advice is this. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And then he continued, consider carefully what you hear. We haven't filled in any of the blanks on your take-home sheet. Don't worry, we are winding down. We're not just winding up, so we'll get it out now because here we go. I have two questions that I'd like you to consider as we look at this encouragement from Jesus, this, this urging that we have from him to hear. Two questions that it's going to be my challenge for you to think about this week. And the first one is this. What are you currently doing to hear what Jesus has to say to you? Take some time this afternoon, take some time later this week 
to think about that question and then write it down. Make a comprehensive list. What are the places, the the things that you do over the course of a, a day or a week to hear what Jesus has to say to you? Coming here for worship on a Sunday morning. Spending time reading through God's word at home, whether it's a personal devotion or a family devotion. It could be a a podcast that you listen to or a book that you're reading. It could be a Christian friend that you sit down with regularly to talk about your life and your faith and to think about the things that Jesus says. Make a list and then ask yourself this follow-up question. Is there anything else that I could do to improve on that? Is there something that I could be doing so that I could hear more of what it is that Jesus has to say to me? And then the second question, what is your process for considering carefully the things that you are being, that you are hearing said? So if you have Uh, on your phone, for example, if you have some app that sends you a notification every morning for a verse of the day, if you see that notification, you quickly skim through the verse, you swipe it, and you move on to the next notification without ever actually stopping to think about what the passage says. Are you really getting out of it everything that you can? If you've committed yourself to sitting down and reading through a chapter of God's Word every day, but when you're done, you set your Bible to the side and move on to the next task without ever stopping to think about what is God telling me in that chapter? What does it mean for me and my life? Then what's even really the point? Jesus doesn't tell us just to hear, but also to consider the things that we hear. So what's your process? What's your process for considering what you hear? Write it down. List out your process. And then think about that same question, what can I do to improve it? How can I make even better use of my devotion time with God's Word? How can I maybe help to to put those things in my mind so I can carry them forward with me from this moment? Write it down. Take a picture of it and text it to me. That's my challenge for you. Answer these questions, write out your answer, send me a picture of it. I have a promise for you. I will be 100% judgment-free. This is an area where I want to grow as well. But if you're looking for ideas of how can I grow in this area, I want to be able to help you. And so if you'd like that help, shoot me a text, ask for that help, I'll be there for you. Here's Jesus' promise, which is way more important than mine. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. What does that mean? It means that the time you spend answering these questions means that the time you spend listening to what Jesus has to say to you in his word and considering what those things mean for you, for your life, for your eternity, that time is directly proportionate 
to the blessings that you will receive from Jesus through that time. It's proportionate, but the blessings are far greater than our expenditure. Right? Jesus says, whoever has will be given even more. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. What do we have? Friends, we have the secret of the kingdom of God. That which was hidden, which has been revealed to you, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came into this world, who lived and died for you, who rose again and reigns on high so that you might live with him forever. Let us continue to hear what he has to tell us and to consider carefully all that he says. Amen?